Good morning, neighbors. How are we doing? It is great to see you here this morning. If you have a Bible, open it with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning as we continue this series we started last week called Neighbors. We are studying the parts of Scripture that speak to our role in the lives of those around us. Specifically, uh, as we uh, consider what Jesus says, Jesus told us uh, that we are to love our neighbors. So as we uh, continue on this morning, we're going to be examining that in a deeper and hopefully more meaningful way. So grateful to be able to open up our time together, though, worshiping in our God. Isn't it great to be able to pray things like, Lord, take everything, Amen. right? Spirit of the living God, come and speak to me. We're resting on every word. I pray that's what happens, and now I'm going to pray that in just a second. Uh, but to even to be able to say, listen, I am not alone. What a, what a blessed gift it is to know that in life, you and I are never alone. God is ever-present and always with us. Let's uh, pray right now as we prepare to hear his word. God, thanks so much for a chance uh, to sit in this place stand in this place as I am, uh, but to be able to sing your praises, uh, to be able to lift you up as a, a united uh, whole and, and to honor you um, because of who you are and because of what you've done. Uh, as we uh, turn now to your word, I want to uh, do right by you, God, and so I'm asking you to push me out of the way and speak in my place, uh, teach us and inspire us, uh, challenge us and change us uh, through the things that we find today here in the book of Luke. Help us to be the neighbors that you want us to be. Uh, help us to love those around us uh, with your love. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Yeah. Jesus told us to love our neighbors. If you were here last week, we uh, learned that in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was asked by someone, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to this person, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Uh, and the second is like it. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He's basically saying to these Jews that are listening to him, hey, listen, um, I know you're trying to you know, get me to say something that would disqualify my leadership, because that's usually what they were asking him questions to do. They were asking him these questions so that he would trip up and say something wrong and everybody would stop listening to him. But he answered correctly. Everybody knew that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God. And, and then he threw in uh, a, a Leviticus 19. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, in fact, everything in the law kind of is summarized by these two commands. And all you have to do is go to the Ten Commandments and see that that's true. The first four commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no other gods before him. Have no other idols. Don't take his name in vain, right? Remember his Sabbath. Keep it holy. That's the first four. The next six are all about loving each other. And so he says rightly, hey, guys, if you could, it, it, who among us doesn't have a hard time remembering things every once in a while, right? He says, if you can't remember anything else, remember these two. Everything else falls under these two commandments. We talked last week about this whole idea, this whole mandate to love our neighbors. And we went to the story in Luke chapter 10 that precedes where we're going to be today. Uh, it's the story of Jesus telling the, the parable of the Good Samaritan because someone asked him uh, about the, this great, greatest commandment. And this, uh, Jesus says, well, what do you think? And the guy answered just like Jesus did here in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God. Love others as you love yourself. And Jesus says, man, you answered right. That's great. And the guy says, hey, wait, one more thing. Who's my neighbor? And it was really a question that's more like, uh, who isn't my neighbor? Like, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbors myself, but I certainly can't love everybody. I mean, there's some people out there that are not lovely. They're not deserving of my love. So who's my neighbor? The Jews would have a, a, a long list of who their neighbor was not. It would include all Gentiles. They were not neighbors because they were not chosen. Uh, it would include uh, mongrel Jews like Samaritans because they had 
chosen to disobey the commands and intermarried with other races. It would have been uh, certainly nominal Jews because they weren't as holy as the really, you know, uppity-up, muckety-muck Jews. So there would be a long list of people that they would count as not their neighbors. But Jesus doesn't answer his question. Instead, he, he flips the script and he talks to them about how you should act as a neighbor, not just to the ones that you think are deserving, but to everybody. He tells this story about uh, a guy who's leaving Jerusalem, heading to Jer- Jericho. He gets beaten up and robbed, and, uh, and, and two guys pass by in the story, a, a, a priest who uh, goes around on the other side, and a Levite who's kind of like a, a, a JV priest. Uh, he's uh, not quite a priest, but uh, still serves in the temple, and neither of them stop. And everybody's expecting, remember I said this last week, everybody's expecting just the average, everyday Jewish guy to be the hero in the story. But Jesus does not insert a Jewish person into the hero slot in this parable. He instead puts the Samaritan. And he teaches us that, that true, true neighbors love even when it costs, I'm sorry, true neighbors love those that don't love them back. True neighbors love those that don't love them back. Go back, I, I messed up, it's my bad. Oh, man. Yeah, true neighbors love those that don't love them back. Uh, Jesus says that uh, you've heard it said that you should uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemies in Matthew chapter 5. But, but Jesus says, no, you love your enemies. And you pray for those who persecute you. You don't have any distinguishers or any modifiers in front of the word neighbor. Everybody's your neighbor, even the ones that don't love you back. He also taught us uh, that we should, uh, as true neighbors, love even when it costs us more than we think. A lot of us have an up to here with people. Who's got an up to here with somebody? Yeah, we got an up to here. And what we mean by that is that my patience, my tolerance, my grace, my mercy, my love for you goes up to here. If you pass here, we're done. And I'm, I, I, I had a couple conversations after the last service. I don't want us to, as we talk about neighbors, not understand that there needs to be healthy boundaries. We're supposed to be wise as serpents and gentles does, that you can't do everything for everybody. Please don't hear me say that when I talk about loving your neighbors. You have to draw some lines, but I think most of us draw lines way too early when it comes to loving those in our lives. Now, this guy, this uh, Samaritan, not only loves his enemy, but he uh, takes from himself to provide for this, uh, this person he doesn't even know uh, to have what he needs. Uh, he bandages his wounds. He probably is ripping up his own tunic to be able to do that. Uh, he uh, puts him on his mount. He walks him to the nearest inn. He pays for three weeks stay. Most uh, people think that's what two denarii would cover. And, and then he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to pay you this much. If it, if it goes beyond this much, if his, if his needs exceed what I've given you, I'm coming back and I'll, I'll pay for whatever he incurs. And, and, and the, the grand implication there is that I'm coming back. And we talked about this. A lot of times we get up to here with people and we stop. And we need to continue to seek God for ways that there might be restoration in relationships. There needs to be in every neighborly uh, uh, discourse and every neighborly existence that we have this willingness to come back. We finished talking about uh, neighbors this way. We, we said that we actually need to love our actual neighbors. And uh, we talked from Acts 17 where, where Paul was uh, addressing the Athenians there, the, the wise men at Mars Hill. He was talking to them and he said this. He said, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. What he said there, seeming in a, uh, seemingly in an offhand way, is that God is sovereign. Uh, he's made everybody, every tribe, on the face of the earth, and he has dictated the times that they live and the places that they live. He's done this, verse uh, 27, so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. 
That's how God has ordered things. He's put people in times and in places so that they could find him. In fact, if you're sitting here this morning, you were where you were at the right time and in the right place so that you could hear about God and we could hang out together. Isn't that cool? It's all ordered by God. And you now live, wherever you live in our area, next to the people you live next to by the bidding of God. And they live where they live, close to you. So that, as Paul says here, they might find him. And perhaps you're the salt and light that God's gonna use in your neighbor's life. We threw this uh, little grid up on the screen and, and gave you handouts. We challenge you to, to name all your neighbors. Many of you could do it because uh, you're just that way. You're neighborly and it's just automatic. Wherever you live, you get to know the people around you and some of those folks have keys to your house and you watch their dogs and they watch yours and great, right? Some of us, though, uh, we know, you know the people that we know, but we don't know all of them. In fact, we're fine with the wave. Who's here? Anybody fine with the wave on that neighbor? Hey, that neighbor? I'm just waving to him. He looks a little weird. Hey, nobody. <laughs> but I challenged you last week, if you have a hey man in your neighborhood, maybe you learn their name and he becomes a hey Mike, if that's his name. And maybe if you have time at the mailbox as you're getting your mail or outside in your front yards, he goes from hey Mike to hey Mike, how's it going? From a hey Mike, how's it going to, hey Mike, you want to help me with this? Or hey Mike, can I help you with that? I was reading this morning in the paper about um, all of the cleanup in uh, the Mexico uh, beach area and, and Panama City and just how neighbors got to be neighbors when a Cat 4 storm comes through, right? And there's lots of uh, hey mans and hey Mikes that have gone to, hey, I don't have any food, can you help me? Um, we should, shouldn't have to wait for hurricanes to be that kind of neighbor to each other. Uh, we should just be willing to step across our yards and our streets and sidewalks to those around us uh, to love on them as God would give us the opportunity to. You can grab one of these or you can just, you know, it's a tic-tac-toe board. You can do it yourself if you have a pen. Uh, and, you, and I would just challenge you to, uh, through the course of this series, just figure out the names of your neighbors. Start praying for them by name. Start asking God for opportunities to love them as you love yourself. That's what this series is all about. Today we're going to talk, and next week we're going to talk about some of the things that stand in the way of us being the neighbors uh, that uh, we're meant to be. And one of those things, I think, uh, for, first and foremost in the American culture, is lack of time. So let's talk this morning about, thank you, MC Hammer, stop, neighbor time, right? <laughs> Who here has too little time and too much life? Anybody here got too little time and too much life? Welcome, Americans. That's how we do it around here. We have lost the, uh, the majesty of siesta, which who doesn't love a nap every once in a while, right? There are some cultures that stop in the middle of the day and take a nap. Lord Jesus, please come. Anyway, uh, uh, but we've lost balance in the ways that we live. Too much life, not enough time. Too much busy, not enough margin for the things that matter most. We are going to be the neighbors that God calls us to do. Some other things that have existed in our schedule and in our calendar are going to have to move or have less time in our lives. So I want to talk to you about that this morning. Talk to you about this, uh, talk to you about that idea from this next story in the, in the account that Luke gives us here in Luke chapter 10. He, I don't think there's mistakes in, in Luke's ordering of his material. He, he talks about neighbors and he says that everybody should be a neighbor like the Good Samaritan was, love your enemies. Uh, go beyond what you think you need to do to be able to be a good neighbor. Uh, but then he says, hey, let me tell you this story about Martha and Mary as Luke organizes his gospel. 
Because when it comes to neighbors, you're gonna be busy and you're gonna miss out on Jesus and what he's doing in your world with you and your neighbors if you're too busy to notice him and see what he has for you in life. All of us, look, we start this way, all of us get unexpectedly busy in life, anybody? Anybody have things happen that aren't on your, who keeps a calendar, anybody keep a calendar? Does anybody have things happen during your day that were not on your calendar? Like daily, right? Like it's an American uh, you know, existence thing. It's just who we are. We have these things that we're gonna do, but then that phone call comes, or the boss you know, steps into our office and says this, or our kids need this. And, and it wasn't, they, they didn't tell us, because that, it's like, it's like a, a, a plot against all parents. They get together and they say, here's what we're not gonna tell our parents, what are you not gonna tell yours, right? And, and, and all, these, <laughs> all these things come into our lives and we're like, ah. Some, sometimes they're great things, they're opportunities. I was sitting with my daughter, she was down visiting from college, she brought her friends, and, and uh, one of her friend's dads is a Notre Dame alumni, he's flying my daughter and her friends up to the Notre Dame FSU game in South Bend, right, in a box, and he has two extra seats, and this girl who I just met said, hey, if you wanna come, and I gotta be honest with you, for a moment there, I was like, how can I do that? <laughs> I work on the weekends, I don't know if you knew this, but how can I do that? How can I get up there? And if I had, you know, I'm not going to, but if I, if I had, had taken the opportunity to do that, some things were going to have to move in the rest of my schedule because there's things scheduled in my life. Other times, there's like just bad things that happen, inopportune things, but they still, you know, find their way in your life. We live in a world full of errors, a world full of, it's broken, lots of bad things can happen. And all of a sudden, what seems like this pristine kind of gentle experience becomes this like, oh, like, like yesterday morning, I went out with Eleanor. Uh, we had a Saturday morning for the first time in like five weeks. Lots of different work things going on. We finally had a Saturday morning. And, and so uh, I figured out on Saturday mornings that you have with your bride's fellas, it's just best to do what she wants. It's going to go way better if you just do that. And so uh, uh, Eleanor loves to kayak, and I love to be with Eleanor, so that's how that works out. And so uh, we decided to take this double kayak that we purchased a couple years ago at Sam's and, and, and throw it out on the Alifaya River and go kayaking. We hadn't used a kayak for a while, so I backed my truck up in the backyard, threw it on the back of the truck, and everything was going great. I mean, yesterday morning was beautiful. It's like four billion degrees outside right now, but yesterday morning it was you know, breezy and calm, and there was nobody at the, uh, at the place where we put in there down by uh, the Alify on Kings Avenue, and uh, it was great. Back the kayak all the way back up to the water, I finally figured out that that's what this ramp is for. You can back your, your truck down there. You don't have to haul this kayak. I never knew that before. Anyway, uh, but I backed it all the way down there, just dropped the kayak in the water. We brought our little dog, Toby. We got a used dog off of Craigslist named Toby. And uh, <laughs> it's awesome. It's this great little dog. And, uh, and so, I mean, we're having a great morning. Fellas, it started with hole-in-one donuts. Come on. How, how, I mean, what else is there, right? And so I'm putting this kayak into the water. And, uh, uh, you know, it's fine. And, and we're grabbing the paddles and ready to go. And, and I reached down to grab this one backrest that is... Uh, a part of the kayak construction. If you flip it up, you can rest your back against it and it helps you as you're paddling and stuff. So I grabbed this and, and I noticed something right away that, that's not right. Uh, there's something crawling on my hand. And then there's not just one thing crawling on my hand, there's many things crawling on my hand. And I look down, it's ants. Not the little ones, the big ones. And they're all over my hand and I just start shaking. I throw the thing in the water and I start shaking these ants off my hands and of course they get on my legs and now I'm smacking them off my legs and I'm like, what is going on? And I watch out in the water and it's like a horror movie. These ants had made their nest inside the hollow of this backrest of this kayak that had been resting in our backyard. And so I watch as hundreds of ants spill out of this, this backrest and larva and all the stuff that's in there. Uh, 
and I'm just smacking it. Listen, what had been this pristine, you know, tranquil moment in the life of my wife and I was now five alarms, you know, ant fire. It's what's going on, right? And my point is, as you hopefully are picking up, is you just never know. You just never know. It could be great things, it could be hard things, but something's coming, and you're going to have to make room for it because we're too busy to manage everything in our lives. That's what happens in the life of this woman, Martha, uh, here in Luke 10, 38. As they went on their way, uh, Jesus leaving where he had done the teaching on the Good Samaritan, uh, he enters the village. We know it to be Bethany uh, from other parts of the scripture. It's where Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus uh, lived. And as they came into Bethany, this woman, Martha, who perhaps was not super familiar to Jesus, maybe not at all, but uh, they were early on in their relationship, as this was early on in, in Jesus' uh, ministry years. Um, they had gotten to know each other to the point where this woman, Martha, would welcome Jesus into her home. A couple things. It says just Jesus, but we're guessing that Jesus was traveling with a bunch of his friends, the disciples and others. And so maybe there was the three of Jesus' disciples or maybe more. Uh, this was probably not just, you know, hey, come on in. Uh, I'll throw you out some leftovers. This was probably a big to-do and Martha, knowing what was right there in the Jewish culture, lots lots of uh, hotels for people to check into, and, and the culture just you know, demanded that, hey, if you're in town, we'll, we'll feed you. She, she volunteers to feed Jesus and perhaps many of his followers. And so whatever was on Martha's schedule for that day, because everybody knows there wasn't Twitter feeds and, and texting and phone calls, Jesus just hits the edge of town and it's like, oh, Jesus is here. And, and whatever was going on with that day is now not going on because now she's going to prepare a meal and welcome Jesus into her home. Can you almost hear her asking uh, Mary, did, did you clean the living room? I don't even know. Is that, I mean, are the pillows in the right places? I mean, is, is she having these conversations as she's looking at Jesus and saying, oh, no, it would be so great. Falafel and uh, shawarma. We'll have, we'll have both. It'll be awesome. Come on over. It'll be delicious. <laughs> She was uh, interrupted. Uh, later on, in, in uh, actually a couple of verses, it's going to tell us that Martha was distracted. Uh, her life had gotten busy. When life gets busy, other things have to, to move aside. Whatever Martha had on her calendar that day, it was going to have to wait. She was making dinner for Jesus. Uh, it's kind of like packing for a trip. Some of you guys just got back from Africa. We had a team go and hang out there, had a good time times. Uh, I went to Africa this summer, uh, visited the Village of Hope and taught some pastors and decided to pack a backpack instead of a huge bag. Uh, lots of reasons for that, but um, backpacks are smaller than huge bags, just so you know. And it became, uh, uh, I put all the stuff, who does this when you pack? You put all the stuff you want to bring out on the bed, right? And then you put the bag there and you're like, okay, what goes in first? Well, I got to have underwear. Come on, you got to have underwear. And, and you start, you know, just kind of Packing the things that you know, and here, here, here's some of the things that didn't make it. Uh, the, the snacks. I didn't bring any snacks this time. Uh, which some of you are like, okay, settle down. You don't need snacks. Look at you. Um, I also didn't bring the battery-operated fan, which is a huge favorite of mine over there because it's pretty warm, uh, and there's no AC in most of the places that you go. Uh, lots of things had to be left out. Why? Because only certain things could fit. When it comes to our lives, it's the same way. So here, here's, here's what I think our culture does when it comes down to the things that they're going to pack. They, they usually go uh, by this checklist. What matters most to me or to us as a family? Uh, what will be most acceptable in our culture? How will I best fit in with what everybody else is 
seeing as valuable. And then uh, maybe as kind of a combo of those two things, what's going to make me feel best? What's going to give me the most shine uh, for myself personally and, and maybe even for my reputation? What can I post on Facebook that people will think, he's, he's something. Look what he's doing. <laughs> so we, we get busy in all kinds of stuff. And, and let me just mention a few that I think can kind of throw us into imbalance. But what I'm saying is, is that we can get busy in all kinds of just stupid, superfluous stuff or all kinds of great things. But we can only fit so many things. And if we get so busy with so many things, good or bad, that we are unavailable to God and what he's doing in our lives in the moments that he meets us in them so that we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves, I would submit to you that we're too busy. If we're too busy in life to be able to meet God in what he's doing, where he's at at the time that he's doing it, and be able to flex and move in the directions that he's moving, then we gotta evaluate our priorities, our values, our schedules, and how we spend our time. Uh, We get busy especially in our culture if we've still got kids in the house with their activities, sports, dance, uh, recitals, music. Listen, I am all for kids uh, growing up and being well-rounded. Who's with me? Is anybody want a well-rounded uh, you know, youth culture? Absolutely. But can we all agree that maybe it's gotten just a little bit out of hand sometimes? Where families are allocating thousands and thousands of dollars, maybe that they don't have, uh, and hours and hours and hours that are robbing from other parts of their lives that keep... Uh, imbalance in place and can sometimes rob them from being a part of the body of Christ at all or being part of what Christ is trying to do in their lives. I'm not saying you got to go and make your kids quit soccer, baseball, whatever they play, dance. I'm just saying be aware. Sometimes things can get out of, out of whack. Our jobs, leave the kids out of it. Anybody here like to make money? Some of you are like, I'm not supposed to say that. I'm not supposed to say that. It's church. I'm not supposed to say that. It's okay. It's okay to want to succeed, to want to achieve, to want to progress, but can we sacrifice other things in life that really matter uh, at the altar of our careers? Absolutely. How about this one? Anybody here thinks it's good to serve in a church? Somebody's like, wait a minute. What we're going to see is Martha is going to be serving the Son of God dinner. Are there worse things that she could be doing with her time? Anybody? Yeah, absolutely. But even in service, even in the very best of things or the the seemingly good things, can we get imbalanced? Can we get so involved in serving Christ that we miss Christ? That's possible. It's possible. Corey Ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor. She wrote lots of books back in the 70s when I was coming up through the church. And I remember one of her quotes in one of her books that she said this. She said, uh, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I think it's true. Because when we're busy, uh, Satan's able to convince us in the things that we're busy in that they're good. They're good. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to change. These are good things. We're taking care of our kids. We're advancing our careers. We're honoring God in service. These are good. We can get so wrapped up in the good that we miss the best. That's what Satan's concerned with. Keep the body of Christ from missing God's best. Let them settle for the good. Some screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a whole chapter. The head demon speaks to this uh, younger JV demon and says, hey, here's what you do with your charges. Make sure they stay busy. Just keep them from the things that matter most. 
Yeah, Martha's like the rest of us. At any given time, life can get really busy. But here's the good news. God gives grace. He gives us grace to see the busy and still choose the best. Who's grateful for that? Lots of times we can see past the things that our culture says, you've got to be doing this or you're not fulfilled. You've got to be doing this or you're not successful. He helps us see past those things and he helps us to see, no, this may go countercultural. This may go counter what my family thinks, what my uh, you know, friends think, but I'm going to serve Jesus in this way at this time because it's what he's called me to. And look what happens with Mary, Martha's sister. Uh, it says, Martha, she had a sister called Mary. And uh, Mary sat down at the Lord's feet here at this dinner party and, and listened to his teaching. She took advantage of something that was very different about Jesus as a rabbi. Most rabbis back in those days had nothing to do with women. In fact, they were seen as kind of uh, property, as, uh, as lesser than uh, a man for sure. And so uh, some rabbis, it's actually recorded in some of the history of rabbis at the time, they would write this, it's better for you to burn your Torah than share it with a woman. Torah is the scriptures that the Jews held to. And uh, if you're not picking up what he put down, he said, don't teach women what you know. Jesus was way different, though. Jesus hung out with, with gals of uh, all kinds. Uh, Samaritan women at the well earlier in this same book. Uh, uh, he, he hangs out with uh, women of the night and uh, has his feet washed by them and their hair. I mean, Jesus was uh, kind of revolutionary in this regard. And, and Mary apparently had found that out. And so she says, hey, I know Jesus is coming to dinner, and my place, culturally speaking, is to be with Martha in the kitchen, but here's the deal. I don't know if this is going to happen again. So I'm hanging out with Jesus, and I'm not sitting in the back as he's teaching maybe Lazarus, my brother, and some of the other disciples or whoever else showed up at our dinner party. I'm not sitting at the back. I'm going right to his toes, and I'm sitting right in the front, because it's the best seats, way to go. And I'm going to listen to him and hang on every word, just like we just sang. I'm going to hang on every word, because there's something about this guy. i got to hear him. I know I'm breaking protocol, I know I'm off schedule, but this is what I'm doing. God gives us the grace, like he did to Mary, to see him in some of those things. Certainly this points to our prioritizing Christ over our, business, or our busyness in a discipleship sense, and it's been taught that way for years and should be, absolutely. But I want to submit to you that it goes beyond just us having devotions with Christ on a one-on-one basis, uh, on a daily basis, or, or coming to church and listening to his word be taught. Those are all great things. Please interact with Christ in any way that you can, him and his word, any way that you can, as often as you can, and, and don't be so busy that you can't. But here's what I would submit to you. Beyond you just interacting with God in a personal way, uh, there's the whole, the fact that God's working constantly around us. He is always in redemption mode. He is always seeking to reconcile and draw people to himself. He's always seeking to bring things into lives that are missing, and he wants to use us in that mission. And so in the same way that you should never be so busy that you can't spend time with Jesus like, Jesus, or like Mary was here uh, in her own home, you, you need to be so ready for the work of Christ in your life that at a, at a moment's notice, you can leave whatever's on the schedule, whatever everybody else expects you to do, and be available to him so that you can love your neighbor as you love yourself, so that you can serve him as he accomplishes his mission in this world. Through us. Now, I didn't make that up. That's not my choice. It's how he chooses to do things. He chooses to work through us, the body of Christ, the church, in accomplishing his mandate. But if the church is too busy to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit to join our Savior Jesus in the things that he's trying to do in people's lives, then ah, we're going to miss out on his best. 
for the sake of things that might be good. I love hearing the stories uh, of people who have understood that and they've taken out of their time and their schedules uh, huge chunks to minister to people uh, in their world. I talked with a, uh, another family last week who, uh, like Eleanor and I, had a, had a period of life where they welcomed someone into their home and, and sought to just be there for them. And, and they went through ups and downs. It's never, it's never super clean. If you ever alter your life, I'm telling you right now, don't expect it to just be like, you know, frolic through the meadow. It's, it's going to have its moments, right? But as they've gone through that for the last six or seven years and seen the ups and downs, they, they, they rejoice in the fact that they paused their lives to help in this way. I look out in this room, I know there's families who have given jobs to those who are jobless. There's uh, families who have given homes to those who are homeless. Uh, there's pastors and, and, and members of our staff who, uh, as we talked about neighboring this week before I got up here to preach to you, told me stories of their neighboring experiences, mowing grass for their neighbors and how that's built relationships to the point that they could share Christ and love on them as they love themselves. Uh, I, I talked with uh, uh, one of our pastors and, and he lives in an apartment and he's got an upstairs neighbor and he calls him Upstairs Jim. His name's Jim, Upstairs Jim. And, uh, and they've built a relationship through food. Uh, this young guy will have food and, and a life group meet at his house and there'll be leftovers and he'll take it up to Upstairs Jim and Jim likes food, works out, right? And he told me this one day, uh, he was coming to our staff meeting, which I, you know, I think I'm a congenial and loving guy, but I, if we have a meeting, be on time, let's meet, right? And he knew that he was probably going to be late, and so uh, he, he, uh, he's getting into his car, and apparently upstairs, Jim comes downstairs, and he says to uh, this friend of mine, he says, hey, I watched a scary movie last night, and I'm wondering about demons. I know you're a pastor at one of them church things. Can you tell me about those a little bit? I might be messing up his accent or saying things differently, but uh, that's how I picture upstairs Jim. And, and my friend had a choice. He could either pause and have this conversation, which might not be super redemptive. It might not, you know, be the, the, the final straw, the final act in this guy coming to Christ, but he could have the conversation or he could make it to staff meeting. And that morning, he had the conversation. And he didn't make it on time to staff meeting. I'm hearing about it after the fact, and I remember when he was late for that meeting, and now I know why, and now I'm happy he stayed. You know why? Because I think every Christian should be ready to miss something that they're required to be at to meet Jesus in what he's doing in their lives. We do three services on the weekend so that we can fit everybody and all that stuff, but I think it also affords us great opportunities so that if you were getting up this morning and heading to church and your neighbor came over and said, hey, my marriage is falling apart, can we talk? Or your neighbor came over and said, hey, I just found out I got cancer, can we talk? Or your neighbor came over and said, whatever they said, and opened the door for you to have an opportunity to share with them, I hope you would say, you know what, I'll go to church. Well, it's the last service. It's worked every other service. But I'll, I'll go to church online this week because apparently this is where God needs me to make a difference for his kingdom in the life of this, my neighbor, who I'm supposed to love as myself. And don't hear me say... <laughs> Stop coming to church so you can hang out with your neighbors. I'm not saying that. Some of you are like, well, pool party every Sunday then. All right. Got the pass. I'm saying both. And I'm saying where God brings opportunity outside of your schedule, opportunity. Meet him where he's working. Because it may not be on your calendar. Some of us see the busy and still choose the busy, though. Some of us see the busy and we're still like, yeah, uh, I could maybe sit down with 
you know, marry and listen to Jesus. But Martha doesn't do that in this story. If you know the story, many of you do. Uh, it says here in verse 40 that Martha was what? Distracted. It's a negative. She, she was not seeing the opportunity. She was distracted by the falafel. And it says right there, she was distracted with what? Much, not a little bit, much, what? Serving. Wait a minute, is serving bad? I thought serving was good. Like it's one of our four, you know? We worship, we connect, we serve, we multiply. That's one of our four. Serving's good. But here in this case, Martha was distracted from the best by something that was good. She went up to him. This is so great. I love this part. Martha, the host at the dinner party, gets aggressive-aggressive with the Son of God and passive-aggressive with her sister all at the same time. Watch this. She goes up to him, Jesus, interrupts his teaching. I'm picturing her like covered in, you know, falafel flour or whatever that is. I mean, she's, you know, disheveled and she's trying to do the work of her and her sister and she's finally had it. And she walks up to Jesus and she says to him, Lord, and she starts good. She starts with Lord, the Greek word kurios. It's a great respectful term. She says, sir, Lord, do you not care? Okay, think about what she just said. She looked in the face of the Son of God and asked rhetorically, just so you know, if he cared, implying you do not care. I mean, I don't know if you've driven by the mall on Saturday mornings, but there's a sweet lady up there holding a sign that says emphatically, Jesus cares. She's underneath the umbrella, right? She's not here. She can't hear you. But she is holding out for us a standard of Scripture. It's a principle of Scripture. Of course Jesus cares. No one has cared more ever than God the Father, God his Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus cares. But <laughs> Martha looks in the face of the Son of God and says, you don't care. You don't care that my sister left me to serve alone. And then she, gets, she, she takes it up another notch. She goes Lord on her Lord. She says, tell her to help me. I mean, I'm picturing the finger in the face here. You tell her to help me. It's an imperative. It's a command. He's not, she's not saying it would be great if. <laughs> Our busy often takes us into places like stress, angst. We're going to hear that next. Jesus is going to say to Martha, oh, Martha, why are you so troubled? Why are you so anxious? What's going on? He could have said, why are you so busy? When we get busy, we get stressed and anxious and troubled, and, and we start to blame. We, it, it's, just, it's like a, a bucket that can't hold its contents. It just flows over into blame and anger and bitterness and finger-pointing, and, and that's what she's doing. It's Jesus' fault. It's Mary's fault. I'm busy, and it's everybody else's fault. Is this you? Are you anxious and troubled by what busies you in life? Are you making those around you the scapegoats of your unhappiness? Are you, in doing so, missing out on the mandates of Jesus to love him, to love others, to be available to him? Are, is your busyness strangling your spiritual life? Jesus tells us, finally, through his discourse with Martha, to leave the busy for the sake of him and his work. 
Look what Jesus says to Martha. The Lord answered her. He says, oh, Martha, Martha. Now, there's a couple of different ways you can take this. Scholars go in different directions. Some people think uh, that Martha, Martha here is kind of the double, uh, you know, uh, get her attention. Like, like when Jesus would say, verily, verily, or truly, truly, whenever you see it in Scripture, he's, he's saying, listen, you got to hear me, Martha. Martha, Martha. Okay? Some people think he's just doing kind of like what we would do when we were, were exasperated with someone. You know, uh, we look at someone, we say, Mike, 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 Mike. Mike, Mike. You know, that's what you do when you're going to start saying something. That shows your exasperation. I think, and I can't prove this, but I think probably Martha didn't hear the first Martha, and so Jesus had to say it twice because she's freaking out. You tell her to help me, and Jesus is like, Martha. No, I mean it. You tell her, Martha. Whatever the case. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about how many things? Not just dinner. I mean, dinner's kind of what we got right now, but you are an anxious, troubled person, period. He says this, verse 42, he says, but listen, only one thing is necessary. Again, it's in the context of Jesus uh, uh, being asked what the greatest command was and him saying to the guy who asked it, what is the greatest command? The guy said, love the Lord your God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as you love yourself. He says it's, it's the second command. The first is the prime and the first, but the second command is like it. It's almost like they're handcuffed together. They're sandwiched together. He, Jesus says, listen, there's only one thing that's necessary. Love the Lord your God. Love others as you love yourself. Do that, and it covers all the commandments. Do that, and that's what's necessary in life. If you can figure that out, Martha, you'll be much more relaxed. Only one thing is necessary. He says, Mary, your sister that you're so mad at, has chosen, in the ESV here, it says the good portion. In the NIV, it translates those words, the better thing. What is better? That you, She's chosen what's necessary. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Translation, implication, Hey, all your busyness and all the stuff that you're nutting out over, it's not going to last forever. Everybody gets that, right? You climb in the corporate ladder, it ends when you hit the grave or when you hit retirement or when you switch jobs. And you've got all that investment and all that time into something that doesn't last. I don't, I don't want to ruin earmuffs on your kids. Many of your kids are going to grow up and not get scholarships for their sports efforts. I think it's great that they're playing sports teams. I know some of you are like, oh, don't say that. But I think it's great they're playing sports teams, but that might end. I thought I was going to be an NBA basketball player, but six foot and lots of pounds kept me from doing that, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes things don't always last. Matter of fact, most of the things that we stress out over have a shelf date, a shelf life. They're just not going to last. And Jesus says, Martha, you're, you're stressing out and worrying about things that are going to die with you. But Mary, Mary's figured it out. There's only one thing that's necessary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love others as you love yourself. That's what's necessary. That's what lasts. And think about it. Eternally, that's true. If you know and love God and have accepted Christ as your Savior, that lasts. If you love on others and they go on to love God and accept Christ as their Savior, guess what? That lasts. When you stand before the throne and God asks you, what did you do for me? And he uh, rewards you for the crowns Come and hear the bame. It'll be later in this year. But when he rewards you for all those great things that you've done and you cast those crowns back at his feet, those are the only things that last. And yet we give so much time to the stuff that doesn't. <laughs> you ever uh, wonder as uh, we kind of get ready to close, you ever, 
You ever wonder what happens after the stories end in the Bible? Like Paul Harvey used to be this guy on the radio and he'd start a story on the radio and then he'd kind of pause and they'd play some commercials and he'd come back and he'd be like, and now the rest of the story, right? We don't get a lot of the rest of the stories in the Bible. I mean, this is four verses, five verses. He just you know, goes to dinner and says what he says to Martha and the end. What do you think happened? You think Martha stormed back to the kitchen? Meshuggah just kind of left and went back to making dinner? I hope not. In fact, I think, you know, the ways that Martha acts later in the Bible uh, kind of dictate that that's probably not what happened. I picture Martha being like, oh, sorry. Sorry, Jesus. Mary, is there room by you? Okay. And she sits down at the feet of Jesus and, and listens. That's what I picture. And actually, some of the answers that she gives later in the conversations that she has with Jesus kind of bear this out. And I want you to leave this place understanding this. If we choose right, if we balance our lives, if we're ready for Jesus when he calls us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, not only are we going to be used of him in their lives, not only are we going to be you know, able to honor him and the things that he set up for us, but we're going to get to know him better. We're going to know Jesus better. When you serve, when you're available to Jesus and the things that are on your calendar, you have to rely on him. It's not planned. You have to trust him. He's going to use you. He's going to teach you. And those are the, listen, when I think back through my ministry career, all the stuff that I remember wasn't on the schedule. All the stuff that I remember are the ways that he used me when I wasn't looking around to be used. And it's in those moments that I drew closer to my Savior, and you will too. I think Martha sat down at the, the feet of Jesus, and, and it's what shaped her for these next conversations, like the one that she had with him in John chapter 11. Uh, as as uh, we kind of come to the close of Jesus' life, he's heading back to Jerusalem to uh, take up the cross and and uh, die for our sins. He's, he's actually on his way there uh, when he finds out that his buddy Lazarus, Martha and Mary's brother, has died. Uh, he doesn't go right away when he hears the news. He waits a couple days, and he, he arrives back in Bethany as uh, all of Lazarus's friends have gathered uh, to mourn their, their, their pal who's, who's died. And, and <clears throat> he gets there, and Martha here in John 11 runs out to meet him, uh, and, and that's where we pick it up. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and uh, met him, and surprise, surprise, Mary remained seated in the house. That's where she just kind of lived. She was always sitting down in that house. Anyway, um, Martha said to Jesus, uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Don't miss this. He's, she's gotten way beyond the dinner. She's understanding that the, the, the Jesus that was in her house is the Jesus who could heal. And she admits as much. She says, listen, I know if you had been here before Lazarus had passed away, you could have saved him. But get, get this, it, it doesn't stop there. Look what she says next. She says, but even now, I know, I believe that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. How much has this woman's faith grown? You're not just a guest at my house. You're the healer. And you're not just the healer. You're the resurrector. If you want to bring this guy back to life, you can do that. And, and this is what Jesus says to her. Jesus says to her, hey, your brother will rise again. And, and listen, we can give Martha a pass. She's mourning. She probably hasn't slept much. She's not picking up what Jesus is putting down because she goes theological while Jesus is going you know, uh, specific. He's saying, hey, right now I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. And spoiler alert, that's exactly what he does with Lazarus. He calls him out of the grave. So Jesus is talking about, yeah, I'm going to, listen, your brother will rise again. But, but Martha says, yeah, I know that. Theologically, we all believe that you know, everybody at the resurrection will you know, one day rise again. I totally get that, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. He says, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Every time that scripture should, uh, is read, you should stand up and cheer if you're a follower of Jesus Christ because that is our eternal treasure. We will never die. How great is that? I mean, we'll physically die, but we will never eternally die. We will always be connected to God because of Christ. Wow. And Jesus says this, and he says to her, hey, do you believe what I just said? Do you believe this? And look what Martha, busy Martha, look what busy Martha said after she took a break from her busyness and sat, I believe, with Jesus and hung out. She says this to him. She says, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God who is coming into the world. Only one other person had said those words in that way. His name was Peter. It came about uh, earlier in Christ's ministry that he was asking his disciples, hey, what are people saying about me? And they said, well, they think you're this, they think you're that. And he says to Pete, he says, Pete, who do you say that I am? And Pete said those words. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Pete and Martha. How about those two mess-ups for being the, the great confessors of Christ, right? Both of them pretty busy. Both of them pretty sure that they knew how life should be. But both of them humbled and both of them understanding that Jesus, Jesus matters most. As we uh, finish up this morning, we're just going to talk to you briefly about some of the ways that this can uh, actually practically live out in your lives. And I, I flashed a, a hashtag up on the screen last week. It's uh, this hashtag, the hashtag B1Brandon. And uh, uh, we, we want to kind of label our neighboring uh, activities, our, the ways that we're able to uh, make a difference in our neighborhoods, our community, and our world uh, with this hashtag. And so we want this to go beyond this series. We want this to kind of be something that lives at our church. It is who we are. It's how we live. It's how we think. We want to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So talk more about that specifically. I know she's standing behind me. Everybody welcome Wendy Stout to our stage to kind of describe this a little bit more. Good morning. Good morning, Bay Life. I'm excited to talk to you about this because this is something that God's been showing me. He's been showing my family. And as we talked about this neighboring series, um, as a staff, we realized this couldn't just be, you know, a couple weeks where we talk about what it is to be a Christ follower, to be a neighbor. It has to be not just this moment, these couple days. It has to be a movement in the way that we actually approach and engage life as a Christ follower. And so Be One Brandon is just that. It's about being one with our Heavenly Father growing in our faith. It's about being one in community here, uh, worshiping together, praying together, serving together, but it's also about being one in our community and bringing light to a dark world out there. And so Be One Brandon is a reminder. It's our commitment as a church, but it's a reminder to us as you see this around campus to not just busy your life, not to find something to join or, or go someplace else. It's about taking Christ with you wherever you go. Where you are, that's where God's called you to be. That's where he's placed you on mission. So when you see Be One Brandon, that's a reminder that God's asking me to live my life out loud in front of this community right here so that they can experience who God is. So whether it's where you work, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's uh, the sideline of a soccer field, uh, no matter where God has called you, 
That's where he wants you to be living out your life. And sometimes that can be hard. Uh, We leave here with the best of intentions on Sunday, and then Monday comes around and the world hits us in the face. Um, But we want to be there to encourage you, to encourage one another that God's called us to that place. So you're going to see B1 Brandon all around campus from here on out. You're going to see it on events, uh, things like the fall festival and the Christmas tea. You're going to see that uh, we can invite so many people here on campus, but they leave. What if God actually lived next door to them and was there every day when they walked out in their driveway? So the Christmas tea and the fall festival are going to change. We're not going to have those on campus this year. We're going to actually ask you guys to take those to your neighborhoods. Open up your door and invite people in. It's a change in the way that we think about living as a Christ follower. It's not just that, but it's also a way that we want to encourage each other. You're going to see more events like that, more opportunities. And when you see that, you're not going to have to think, okay, what did Pastor Mark say about neighboring? Every time you see this, you're going to think, God is calling me to be one with him, one with this body of believers, and one with the community out there. So why Brandon? Because it has to start somewhere. You guys can take it wherever you live, wherever you go, as far as you can, take God with you. But it has to start somewhere, and it's going to start right here with us. It's going to start with this church. But it's not about making the church known. It's about making God known wherever we go. It's not about these four walls or the signs out front. It's all about who Christ is and taking him with us. So as you see this on campus, know that we're in this with you. But also the cool thing about hashtags is that if you're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all those things, it's a great way for us to encourage each other and build a community outside of these walls throughout the week. So I want to show you what B1 Brandon looks like uh, right now. So this was the first post. Uh, Baylife Church posted a line that Pastor Mark said last week about true neighboring erases the lines that can separate us from loving and serving somewhere. That's where it starts. Baylife Church is going to be on there posting things to encourage you. But also, if we go to the next slide, this cool person, Wendy Stout, I don't know who she is, but she's cool. Um, she went to a homecoming game at Brandon High School. And so I was there because my small group, uh, some of the girls were in there. They're on the homecoming. Paul, I went on a missions trip with. Um, I was just there to support them. And, and that's where I'm being called to my mission. And so I hashtag B1 Brandon. The next one you can see is that the middle schoolers, they took a night off here on campus. They went out into their community. So they weren't just being in community with each other. They were being in community outside where people could see what it's like to live for Christ as a teenager. And so we hashtag that B1 Brandon. We want to see where you guys can take Christ with you. The next one, that Wendy, she's busy. She went back to a volleyball game at Brandon High School. And the cool thing about this is that my friend Erica's in there. If you go to the next slide, she posted hashtag B1 Brandon. And guess what? Now we're on mission together in the same place. This isn't about me doing it on my own. God's called us to do this together. We're on mission out in the world together. And that's an awesome thing that God's called us to do. And so hashtag be one Brandon, tag your photos, put it in your post, encourage one another. You can even follow uh, hashtag be one Brandon on those different media outlets so that you can be encouraged. And the thing is, is that when you see that, know that we're living this life out loud together. And we're just asking you guys to be one with us. Thanks, Wendy. If you got your uh, bulletins, I'm just going to draw your attention to one more thing before I pray for us so that we can go. Just this little handout there, you can kind of see there's a, a little uh, 
uh, icon for our fall fest. Who's been at fall festival here? Anybody been to one of our fall festivals? It's just a huge party. Thousands of folks bring their families uh, up here, and, and we just have a great time. We're going to give it a breather this year. It doesn't mean we're never going to do it again. We'll probably do it again next year. But for this year, we would love for you in your neighborhood or for, with, uh, for you with others that you know from our church in your neighborhood or for you with your life group in your neighborhood to seek ways that you might be able to just connect with your neighbors, love on them, get to know them, and we're giving you some uh, opportunities or some ways that you can do that here on this. Ladies, later on in December, we usually have this Christmas tea. And again, we're just giving it a breather for this one year because we want to see uh, how God might use us in our neighborhoods to draw ladies to our homes uh, and, and just to get to know them and be a part of their lives as we love them, as we love ourselves. So just some uh, different things on there. You'll hear more about these things as they get closer, some different ways, some different ideas that you could use if you feel like uh, God is leading you to be a neighbor in this way. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not super uh, savvy. I think hashtags are things that you have with your breakfast. Uh, they're delicious. Uh, home fries or hashtags. But uh, uh, no, I, uh, I, for those of you who are, I mean, t- you can just start doing this right now. And, and don't worry. I mean, don't get so fussed out about, you know, does this fit? I mean, if, if you're serving God in your world with your community, let us celebrate with you as we create this kind of uh, space online for us to uh, collect all of the ways that God's using us in his world. Can we stand and be dismissed? Let's stand and be dismissed this morning. God, we're so grateful for a chance to um, just consider again what your word says, to be reminded of, of this mandate that you've given us to love you and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Uh, Lord, we confess to you that uh, um, that's not always easy. For some, it's super easy. We've got you know, some of us, uh, probably all of us in here, have some neighbors, some people in our world that we love dearly and they love us back. Uh, but there, there may be others, God, who don't uh, currently fit into our construct, fit into our, our time and our, our, our schedules. And, and, and so, God, if we're, if we're meant to be an impact on the lives of other people, if we're meant to be available, uh, to, to be used of you, to, to love and to show your love and grace to someone, um, uh, you know, lead us to that. Have your spirit uh, set up these divine appointments so that we can meet you in them. Help us to be ready. Uh, and Lord, if, if we're just generally too busy in life for you or for anything else that truly matters, uh, would you convict us of what needs to move, uh, what needs to you know, just uh, uh, not be a part of our lives so that we can be balanced and healthier and, and ready to serve you uh, where you call. Um, your will be done on earth as it is in the heaven, uh, and would you lead us, God, to your wisdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Go be good neighbors to those that God loves.